<laughs> now, we're in a series right now. Uh, we're going through the book of Luke, chapter 9 and chapter 10. It's called For the World. And we're going to be concluding this series in about two weeks, and we're going to start a new series after that, uh, something more topical. Uh, so we, we've been going through uh, chapter 10. Last week, Lori talked about the first section of chapter 10, which is a big chunk. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about a really small chunk. So uh, the message might be shorter than usual, which nobody's ever complained about that. So good for you. Okay. So... Uh, what we've been learning through the book of Luke so far, okay, is that as we start to follow Jesus, Jesus starts to, you know, recognize us as somebody that's a potential of, of a good force for the world. Like, if you see some injustice in the world, if you're looking around the world and you're like, there's something that's not right about this, this world, following Jesus actually contributes to the solution of that problem. And the way that that happens is not Jesus saying, okay, now go and do A, B, and C, and you'll fix the world. There seems to be another step that happens before the things that we're supposed to do, which is Jesus wants us to become something. So it's not just, you know, do these actions. It's actually first become someone and then go and do those actions. There's a special step in between. And what we've been learning, okay, is that, next, first slide here, the more we resemble Jesus, the more we become a positive force for the world. For, for the world. We've been discovering more and more about who Jesus is. We're discovering that he is extremely selfless. We discover that he's extremely powerful, but he chooses not to use that power to gain something for himself, but instead he uses that power to be selfless. And he's been demonstrating that if we become more like that, if we start to resemble more of Jesus' character, then we actually become a better force for the world. The world is a better place because we're more like Christ. So um, I'm going to share with you a, a quick story. Um, there is a long time ago, probably like 10, 15 years ago, um, I was at a Starbucks because Starbucks is where I get a lot of work done. doesn't mean I drink a lot of coffee. It just means that's where I get a lot of, uh, the ambient noise helps me. And I remember I was at a Starbucks uh, near where I lived, where I used to live. And a- as I was sitting there, there was this big commotion that happened. These people started getting into a fight. And I kind of glanced over, I took off my headphones, I looked over. And what I saw was at the cashier, you know, where you pay for the stuff, um, there, there was a guy who's wearing like a business suit. And he was basically kind of yelling at the, not the barista, barista is the guy that makes the coffee, the cashier, I get the person who's, you know, taking the orders. And the, the content of what I was able to pick up from that conversation was he had a $100 bill and she could not break the $100. And he just wanted a cup of coffee. And so he just got angry, you know, and, and, and he's like, no, I, it's like, it's not like I'm poor. I have money to buy the coffee. You know, I, just, I just don't have anything smaller than a $100 bill. First world problems, right? And so the line was getting longer and longer and longer. And so at one point, the person who's, who, who was standing next behind him started yelling at the guy who was holding up the line. And I was kind of getting frustrated with this because I was trying to get some work done. So what I decided to do was I reached in my pocket and I pulled out you know, my wallet and I, I just kind of cut the line. I said, here, I'll pay for him. You're kind of like, wow, you know, that's my pastor. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Thank you. No, 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 no. I, was, I did this because I was annoyed, okay? I, I wish I could say I did it because I love, okay? And as I went and paid for it, and the guy just kind of took his stuff and took off, right? He was just angry. He didn't even say thank you, right? I know, ooh. <laughs> the guy that started yelling at the first guy, the guy that was next in line, he looked at me and said, you know, if the world was more filled with people like you, you know, the world would be a better place. And I thought, well, that's nice. And I went, you know, I didn't, you know. so I was like, well, thanks. So I, I went back and sat down, put in my head buds, and I started typing up some stuff. And as I was doing that, I thought, you know, you know those moments where 
there's like a special, like maybe a few seconds, like a special moment in time where if you just had the right words to say, it could just, you know, everyone just drop their, whatever they're doing, and they would just st- stand up and applaud you, you know? And I, I clearly missed that little time frame because at that point, so I was sitting down thinking, what should I have said at that point? Like, if I said the right thing, then people would have been, like, applauding me, right? And I'm like, but this is what's going through my mind. The world wouldn't be a better place if there were more people like me. Uh, my family will attest that, right? It's like, no, like, the world would be a messier place if, I, if there was more people like me. Um, but I was thinking, like, what was it that I did that made the person say that? And I realized, no, 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 no. It's not the world would be a better place if there were more people like me. I realized the world would be a better place if there were more people like Jesus. Now, I missed that, you know, because that would have been perfect. Like, you know, sir, thank you so much. It would be a better place if you were here. It's like, no, 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 no. If there were more people like Jesus. Yeah, right? Like, and then, yeah, okay. And then the heavens part and the angels come down. They're all like, that was great, Cots. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. If we want to make the better world a better place, it's not just doing certain actions. Because if we just rely on our actions, we're eventually going to fail. We're not perfect people. We're going to make mistakes. But if we become more like Jesus and then do things that just flows out of that, then the world will become a better place. And so this, this is why every time we talk about, you know, how to make a world a better place, we always t- bring it back to Jesus. Like why, it's like, yeah, I want to learn how to have this. You know, I want to have a better marriage. I want to do better, I want to be a better roommate. I want to be a better parent or whatever. And we always talk about Jesus when we do that. And the reason is because at the core of everything that we do, it has to flow from the person of who Jesus is. Okay, so this is why we always talk about who Jesus is. And today I want to focus on one specific thing, about, one trait about Jesus. Because I think if we could figure out this one thing about Jesus, I think we could learn a lot about him. This one thing, this one little thing about Jesus will just open up a whole world of understanding what kind of guy he is. So, the question I want to talk about today is this. What brings joy to Jesus? What brings joy to Jesus? What makes him smile? Because if we know the things that make Jesus smile, then we could kind of look at that and say, I'm starting to understand what kind of person you are, right? So, if, if you were to ask, like, my wife, like, you know, if you find out what kind of things make her smile, then you kind of get an idea of who she is. Are you guys following what I'm saying here? Like, I remember when we started dating, I said, what do you like to do? Because, you know, you want to know, you know, you want to get to know the person you're going to marry, right? Well, at the time, she didn't know I was going to, well, you know, okay, but. (laughs) And basically, she said, like, I like to stay home, watch TV, and eat potato chips. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, (laughs) for your birthday, I'm going to get you a Netflix subscription (laughs) or something, I don't know, right? But you get to know a lot more about the person when you find out what brings joy to that person, right? So the question is, what brings joy to Jesus? If we want to become more like him, we have to know what kind of things make him smile. So we're going to be looking at that today. So we're going to start from Luke chapter 10, verse 21, and this is how that story goes. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, and we'll come back to that word in a few seconds, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, that phrase right there, full of joy, it's actually one word in the Greek, but it's actually a compound word in the Greek. I want to show you because this will make me look really smart. Okay, so the word there is the word agalio. Agan is a compound word. Agan means very much, and halomai is, is the word jump. It's this feeling that you're so glad, you're so excited, you're so happy, that you're so full of joy that it makes you want to leap in celebration. Maybe a more modern translation would be, what makes Jesus want to party? Because if you're happy about certain things, like you're eating a salad, and you're like, this crouton is so good, you're not going to throw a party for that. Well, I don't know, some of you might, weirdos, I know, right? 
but some of you have experienced certain things that are so central and core to your joy. And when you experience that, you're like, I need to invite my friends over. I got to have a party. I'm going to have to do something big. Maybe it's somebody getting a job. You're like, I've been looking for a job for a long time. I finally got that job. Maybe it's, it's my birthday. And I didn't think I was going to be able to, to celebrate this birthday because last year they said that I wouldn't make it till this time in my life. But this is something we really have to celebrate. Maybe it's a new child. We've been trying for a long time and we finally have a baby, and I'm going to call all my friends, invite them over, and we're going to have a party. When you find out what that one thing that makes you want to s- throw a party is, you find out more and more about, well, what's more, most important in that person's life? What has this person been wishing for for all their lives, right? So what is that thing that makes Jesus say, this is the thing that makes me so excited, so happy, so joyful that I want to throw a party what is that thing? So, if, so let's go to the next screen. This is the same verse again. At that time, full of joy, but I want to throw a party, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of, of heaven and earth. So he says, whatever this thing is, and he's, the anticipation is building up. He's like, whatever this thing is that I'm really, really excited about, he looks to the heavens, looked at his father and says, Father, I just want to say thank you. I praise you. Thank you for this thing. Now, what is that thing? Well, we find out in the next verse. Because you have hidden these things. What's these things? We're going to find out in a few seconds. Okay, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. The word pleased there is the same word again. I'm so excited. And not only that, Father, you're excited about this too because you've hidden these things. What is he hiding here? And whatever this thing that he's hiding is hidden from the smart people, right? So for those of you who aren't smart, it's like, yes. <laughs> okay. So to help us understand what he's talking about here, we're going to be looking at one of the, my favorite scholars, N.T. Wright. This is what he said about this passage. A long tradition of Torah study and piety, so if you read the Old Testament and if you studied it, indicated that those who devoted themselves to learning the law, that's the Old Testament, and trying to tease out the finer points would become wise would ultimately know God. So if you are a Jew that grew up in the Old Testament, okay, all the way to the time of Jesus, you wanted to be the guy that who read the, the, well, in their eyes, their Bible, okay, to us we call it the Old Testament. You want to be the guy that studied and read the Bible all the time because the more you read it and the more you studied it and the more you talked about it and debated about it, the deeper you went into this understanding of who God is. And because of that, you would know God more than the guy sitting next to you, right? So that's how you would grow closer to God in the Old Testament. But there's a problem with this. And it's a problem that we probably won't pick up because we're living in, the Western world. Okay, but this is what the problem is. Next slide. For the average Jew in Jesus' day, this put wisdom about as far out of reach as being a brain surgeon or a test pilot seems to uh, for most people today. So this is what's going on. In those days, if I were to go out there and give a sermon and say, hey guys, you guys are going to read your Bible so you could go closer to Jesus. Go. Most people would say, where would we find a Bible? And you would say, go to local Christian bookstore. (laughs) Go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon. I heard they have everything, right? They're like, but we don't have that. What do you mean? Well, back then, they didn't have the printing press. So the only people who had this holy text was in the synagogue, or you were so rich that you had a scribe write it out for you. So 
the Bible, the scriptures, was not available to everybody. But let's just say you had some miracle and somebody just dropped it off on, the, uh, on your front door and you just kind of took it and said, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for dropping this off on our front door. When would you read it? Because for most people, especially if you're poor in those days, you would wake up earlier in the morning and you would come back from work late at night. And remember, they didn't have lamps back then. They didn't have night lights. They didn't have flashlights back then. When would you read it? And not to mention, most people, especially poor, you did not have the ability to read. So when somebody says, knowing God by reading the scriptures is the way to get to the top, right? It became a very elitism thing to say. It was basically saying, if you had the money, if you had the time, right, then you were holy, then you were closer to God, whereas everybody else were poor didn't have that chance. So these people who are following Jesus, most of them are outcasts. Most of these people are poor. And they're following Jesus through everything that he's going through. <laughs> and they're like, we heard Bible stories growing up, but we don't have the, our own text at home that we can read and study. Okay, so with that in mind, next slide. He says this, Know his father the way a son does, not by studying books about him, but by living in his presence, listening for his voice, and learning from him as an apprentice does from a master by watching and imitating. So this is what he's saying here. There's a difference between knowing about God versus knowing God. You see, when you read the Bible, you're learning about God. But it's different, and there's a subtle nuance, there's a difference between knowing about God and reading about God versus knowing God. Okay, for example, when my son was born, when Justin was born, he has had some medical issues. We had to take him to the hospital a few times, right? And through those visits, the doctor had a lot of information on him. His blood type, his height, his weight, you know, his, his he, I think he had an ear infection at the time. So what that was all about, I still don't know what that was about, but the doctor did, right? The doctor had a whole list of things on a chart of what was going on with my son. But that was the doctor knowing about my son. But my wife and I, we knew our son. You see the difference there? So in order to get a better idea what this is, I'm going to show you a video clip in a second. But this is a clip from the movie Good Will Hunting. Now, for those of you um, who are really pay attention to content, there's some content in here that might, be, that might offend you. Try to see past that, okay? Because the whole point of this is the whole clip. So, okay, in this clip, there's a character played by Matt Damon. <laughs> I'm like, Damon, Matt, Matt. Okay, Matt Damon. Okay, Matt Damon. And he's this crazy smart guy. Okay, and he's at MIT. He's not a student there. He's a janitor there, but he's like this super, super smart guy who's, who's read almost every book in the world, and he knows everything. And, but because he's causing a lot of trouble, he has to go see a counselor, and that's played by Robin Williams. And Robin Williams, on his, during their first session, totally gets schooled. Like he gets, he gets, uh, he's totally embarrassed because Matt Damon's character just spits out all these facts about certain things that he knows, and, and Robin Williams has no answer for any of it. And so at this point, Robin Williams is feeling really down. Then he comes to this realization about Matt, the Matt Damon's character. His name is Will Hunting. Okay, and this is that conversation he has at the park as he realizes this one thing about Matt Damon. So let's take a look. You know what occurred to me? Oh. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. 
know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a silver, say your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. You can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap. Watch him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel have that love for her be there forever, through anything, through cancer. And you would know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand, because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are, because I read Oliver Twist? Does that encapsulate you? There's certain things that we can't learn just by reading books. Now, am I saying we should stop doing Bible studies, that we should stop reading the Bible? No. This is what we're talking about in terms of getting to know somebody. There is some information that we could get from a biography, autobiography. We could learn some things by, by reading a profile on Facebook about somebody. But in addition to that, there are certain things that could only be learned by experiencing that person. And so what I want to point out today is this. Some knowledge can only be attained through experience. So like I said, we're not saying stop reading the Bible. What we're saying is reading the Bible will give you a foundation that will never be contradicted, okay? So you'll have a foundation of things that you'll learn about who God is, who Jesus is. And when Jesus looks at the situation he's in right now in Luke chapter 10, he's looking around and he saw the disciples learning things about Jesus that they cannot get from reading the Old Testament. They're discovering what things make Jesus laugh, what kind of things that he likes to do, his quirks. You know, he's learning some things about Jesus that you can never learn from reading a book. There's subtle nuances that if I read a profile about you, and <laughs> you'll be like, sure, you know things about me, but you don't really know me. And Jesus is saying, these guys right here, things that are hidden from scholars, things that are hidden from people who study the scriptures forwards and backwards and in, in the original language, which back then was just their language, so 
never mind that. Okay, but you know, they studied it really, really hard. And Jesus said, but these people, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these people who are outcasts of society, they're learning stuff about me that they have never learned before. He's like, there's certain things that can only be learned through experience. And it's these subtle nuances. And he said, when people discover that about me, that's when I get full of joy. I get so excited that I want to throw a party. It makes me want to leap for joy. That's what he's saying here. He continues in verse 22. He says, all things have been committed to me by my father. He's saying that everything that the father is, is now encapsulated in me, the son, okay? So for that reason, no one knows who the son is except the father. The father in heaven is looking down at Jesus and he's saying, I totally know who you are, Jesus, right? I, I, you know, I place myself in you, so you are God in a bod walking around this earth, so I know who you are. And then continuing, he says, and no one knows the, who the father is except the son. It's like, and so I know exactly who you are, God, because you've given everything that you are to me, and then he adds this one line at the end. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. He says these hundreds of people, there's 12 disciples and there's other people who are following, this multitude of people following me here. He said, you guys are so fortunate. Why? Because I've chosen to reveal myself to you in this special way that scholars could never understand. That you could study and meditate and argue scripture for years and years and years and never capture the simple truth that you just did right now because you experienced me. The point is this. The greatest joy, God's greatest joy, comes from an intimate relationship with us. When there's that back and forth, when we're angry, we yell at God and say, God, why did you do that? Or when we're sad, we say, God, are you there for me? It's those intimate moments with God that God looks at and says, this is exactly what brings me joy. This is the reason that I want to have a party. This is what I've been waiting for for all these years, to have that intimate relationship with people where they're learning things about me that you cannot get out of a book. Sure, somebody could experience it and write a book about it, but even then, you realize that words are limitations. Even, th- like, even though you have all these words, these vocabulary words in your heads, you just can't pick the right words to describe what your experience with God has been. And you, say, you ask somebody, hey, can you share me with your, your testimony? Tell me your testimony. And then you're like, I, I, I wish I could. I, I'll stutter as I tell you my testimony because I can't find the right words to describe the kind of loving relationship I have with the Father. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. The, that is a thing that makes him leap for joy. And then verse 23, he continues this thought. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, hey guys, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. You've been seeing things because you've been hanging out with me that other people have not seen. Out of the multitude, he looks at the 12 and says, you're even more blessed than the other people in this crowd because you have been in my inner circle. And then he says this, verse 24, for I tell you, that many prophets and kings, now prophets and kings, these are the heroes of their faith. You know, I joked about this in the past, right? But, but like Peter probably had a poster on the wall with his favorite king and favorite prophet right there every day coming back from school saying like, hey, you know, that's my, that's my boy Isaiah, you know, like Isaiah, that's, that's, that's my boy. Or, you know, like Elijah, oh, I love Elijah, King David, that's my boy. You know, like he, these are his heroes, these people who are seen as heroes of faith. And Jesus here says, these heroes of faith, they have not seen what you got to see, disciples. Peter, you saw something in me 
that even the people you idolize, which is bad, but you know, even these people you look up to have not experienced. He says, so for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It's like, wow. It's good to read the Bible. It's good to have Bible study. It's good to ask questions about the Bible. It's, it's good to do all these things. And I'm sure God is up there saying like, clap, 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 that's a good job. You know, you, you learned that new thing that you didn't know that was in the Bible, right? But what I'm really looking for are those intimate things that makes us grow closer together, something that only you and I share. Now, at this point in the story, the disciples are listening to what Jesus said, and he's like, wow, we're that privileged? Like, this is, like, wait a minute. If the kings of the past and the prophets of the past didn't get to experience this, what makes us qualified to experience this? Right? Or maybe the question you're asking is this. How can I know God intimately? Like, I want to be in that inner circle. Like, how can I do that? Right? And Jesus reminds them. Now, the the reminder here is kind of subtle, so I have to kind of go back a a chapter or two to describe what's going on here. In the previous chapter, chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus made this big statement that said, if you're not with me to the end, then you're just a consumer of me. So I I don't want you to follow me anymore, right? So by the time he gets to chapter 10, he's talking to the people who said, I'm willing to follow you to the very end, right? Because in chapter 9, Jesus said, from this point on, I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross. Okay, I'm going to go in this one direction and no, nothing could pull me out of, you know, away from this one direction I'm going to. I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to have a lot of persecution. I'm going to go through a lot of suffering. All these bad things are going to happen. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then you don't have to come with me. And so by chapter 10, the people that he's talking to, the people he's addressing are the people who said, yes, Jesus, we're not going to turn it back on you no matter how bad it gets. We're going to be with you to the very end. These are the people he's talking to. So the answer to this question, how can I know God intimately? Well, when we look at the scriptures, we discovered the disciples got to know Jesus by following him to the end. These are the people who said, no matter how bad it gets, we're not going to drop off. We're not just here because there's something in it for me. Maybe in today's lingo, it would be like this. I started following Jesus because I want to go to heaven. That's what's in it for you. But when things got tough, I decided to toss in the towel because it was too hard for me. The price was too big. These are the people who are following Jesus, not because of the benefits of following Jesus is what really stands out to them. These are the people who are following Jesus because they're saying, I don't, I just, there's something about Jesus. I have to follow him. I want to give everything that I am for this cause. Like these are the people who said, I'm not willing to go to the left or the right. I'm just going to go straight with Jesus. And so the reason why these people were revealed this intimate side of Jesus is because these people were able to give their all. They poured themselves out for the sake of Jesus. So what does that mean for you and me? How can I know Jesus intimately? The answer is this. It's very simple. Follow Jesus selflessly. If you're following Jesus because there's something in it for you, Maybe that's where you start and that's not bad. But if when times get tough, you find yourself kind of leaving Jesus behind because you're like, okay, it was good while it lasted, right? You're never going to know Jesus in the intimate way that brings him joy. The way that we're going to know Jesus intimately is when we've given our all in following him, becoming more and more like him. So let me put the screen up again. God's greatest joy comes from an intimate relationship with you. You know, yesterday, my son, he, uh, oh man, I have a lot of <laughs> family stories. Okay, um, 
yesterday, uh, my son, he, he joined his first baseball, well, it's called coach pitch, so it's not real baseball, but we tell him it's baseball. He went to, he's never played it before. Yesterday was his first practice, and he knows nothing. We, never, we, never, we haven't even watched TV. with. Well, he's seen it every once in a while, but he doesn't know the rules of baseball, basically. And, you know, so the coach came out, and he's like, okay, this is how you, you know, catch a ball on the ground, and this is how you put on the glove, other hand, there you go, that hand, you know. And, you know, you put on your helmet to make sure that you're safe. And my son was the only one in the team that was playing outfield with his hard, head, hard helmet on, and I'm like, oh, what a, what a, you know, he doesn't know how to play. And there's one, <laughs> there's one part in the practice where he's supposed to run around the bases, right? And so what he heard is run around the bases, so as he's running around the bases, he's not touching the bases, he's running around them. <laughs> and the whole time, I'm kind of like, man, he's the worst <laughs> baseball player. Like, even if you haven't played the game before, you know if there's a square, like a white square there, you're supposed to actually touch it, right? But he didn't get that for some reason, <laughs> right? And as he's running around and he came back, you know, I'm like, hey, good job. Now, here, here, the point of this story is not to make fun of my son, but, but the point is that the things that he accomplished that day, which was not that great, okay, didn't make me love him any less. That even before he went to practice, I loved him. And after practice, I loved him. Actually, my favorite part of practice was not when he tried to run around the bases. It's the part where during practice, he will glance over to me and he just waves his hand at me because he wants to know that he sees me and I see him. The greatest joy that he experienced is the greatest joy that I experienced in that moment, which is, like, I know him like nobody else does. His coach might know some things about him, like he doesn't know how to play baseball, right? He has some stats on him, right? But I know him. And my son Justin knows me in ways that other people don't know. He knows that when I wake up in the morning, my eyes are half open and I don't want to be bothered. He knows that about me. He did that to me this morning. He jumped on bed and, and he was like, wake up, you know, and I'm like, no, get away. You know, daddy, you don't want to be, yeah, right? He also knows what kind of food I like to eat. So much that sometimes when he's eating french fries, he knows I like the little small crispy pieces that are like at the bottom of the box of french fries. He saves that for me. He gives it to me because he knows that's my favorite part. No matter how many Facebook posts you read through that I posted in the past whatever years, you're not going to learn that about me. But he knows that about me. Those are the things that gives me such great joy. And for Jesus, he says that. That makes me so happy that I want to throw a party. And he wasn't just saying that about his disciples 2,000 years ago. He's saying that about you today. He's saying, I want to get to know you in an intimate way. I want you to learn things about me that you're not going to find in the Bible. Now, what you're going to learn about him is not going to contradict what Scripture says. I want to make that very clear because I don't want you to be in prayer one day and come to me one day and say, like, hey, it turns out Jesus doesn't love us. Like, no, 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 no. It's always consistent with Scripture. But as you start reading the Scriptures, as you start spending time in prayer, as you start talking about him with your fellow brothers and sisters, you're going to start to learn things about him that you're like, gosh, God, I didn't know that about you. And he's like, yes, and now let's throw a party because this is so cool that you're learning new things about me that you didn't get from some book that you read. That is what brings joy to God. And because we know that about him, it should teach us something about how we can become more like him, that he rejoices in deep relationships. He rejoices when two people come together and they start talking and they might fight and they, they might go through some chaos, but at the end of the day, they know each other more intimately than they, than they, knew, they knew before. And he rejoices in that. 
Because when we become more and more like Christ, we start to appreciate deep relationships. And as we become more and more like Christ, we discover that the kind of world that God wants to create around us is not a world where people are always doing things. What we discover is that he wants, he desires a world where people could get along with each other. Where people, regardless of their differences, they still love each other deep down inside. And that is what Jesus is saying is we need to strive for. Deeper relationships. In the same way that God rejoices in our relationship with them, we, he wants us to rejoice in the relationship with others. And that is how we're going to go and change the world.